Hello, and welcome to the Come to Your Senses podcast. I'm your host, embodiment-based coach, Mary Lofgren. Here, we explore how to live bravely and beautifully through a lifestyle of embodiment. You'll hear gems to empower you around mindset, mindfulness, somatic psychology, and neuroscience, as well as beauty, food, style, and the art of slow living to meet your soul through the senses. I am so happy that you're here. Let's begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. So today's episode is a continuation of last week. You don't have to listen to last week in order to get what you need from this week, but if you're interested in reading chapter one, I encourage you to go and listen to episode 42, which is how to take your unhealthy behaviors to the spa. And what I shared at the end was that every behavior we engage in is an extension of our inner dialogue. It's an extension of that subconscious mind and the way it communicates through our inner voice. I was speaking with a friend recently about how I woke up in the morning and normally I go and light a candle and do some journaling and create some art in my journal and just really take some time to be with myself in the morning. And I did the thing I often do, which is get amnesia about the impact that my phone has on my mental health in the morning. And I looked at my phone and it was so profound to notice how it changed my thoughts, my attitudes, the way I perceived the events of the upcoming day. And we were talking about how often we can become unsettled when the only thing that has changed is our thoughts. And the good news about that is that often we can become relaxed and at ease and feeling free also when the only thing that has changed is our thoughts. And so I wonder if you can relate to this scenario where perhaps you wake up in the morning and you also experience this amnesia and you pick up your phone, maybe you see some texts and emails, maybe you even flip Instagram before you even get out of bed, who knows? And you start thinking about all the things that you have to do that day. You feel the pressure start to build to mount. You feel frustrated that with all the things that you have in your life and all the work that you've done, you still feel this baseline level of frustration and stress. And then you go in the shower and perhaps you review a few of your failures. (laughs) And it just kind of goes on and on. And I wonder if you were to have the same experience, but instead you wake up with the voice of Julie Andrews as Fraulein Maria in your head. And she tells you what a beautiful day it is and how much possibility there is for your life and all the things that you have to look forward to. And she reminds you that you're worth taking care of and dressing well And she reminds you that 
what you feed your mind is as important, if not more important than what you feed your body. So you naturally don't feel drawn to check your phone. And the only thing that has changed is the quality and the intent of your inner voice. And cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the methods that I use in my coaching practice, is based on the idea that stimulus creates thought, which creates feeling, which creates behavior. And you may have done some mindset coaching and behavioral training before and found it to be an experience of whiplash, where the directive is simply swapping out one thought for another. And when you are going in a downward spiral, it takes a huge amount of energy to change the direction of that spiral. What does not take as much energy is intercepting that spiral before it goes any deeper and widening the spiral. And gently, as you widen the spiral, the spiral naturally starts to orbit in a different upward direction. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today is how we actually do that. This is really the basis of my work in coaching with clients. And what's interesting about that is I am an embodiment-based coach. My coaching background is all about the embodied arts and somatic psychology. And yet, what we are ultimately doing is improving the quality of your inner dialogue and of your inner voice through a method that is not about shaping and contorting your inner voice to be something different, but is about reducing your resistance to its innate wisdom and its natural state, which is loving and encouraging and full of play and possibility. And when we can establish that, when you can shift your inner dialogue, everything about your life will change. The way you feel on a daily basis will change. The way that you perceive past mistakes will change. The way that you respond to failure and disappointment will change. Your relationships will change because you can show more of who you are because you know more of who you really are. And you can take bigger risks in relationships, in work, in life because you know that at the end of the day, you've got you in this loving inner dialogue, which is a lot different than facing those things with the inner critic at your back. And I know I'm talking a lot about the coaching program because just this week I am opening up my wait list to take on a few new clients. I'm still keeping my client load quite small after uh, coming back from this health challenge, but I am taking on about four new clients for the new year. And the last thing I want to say about it is that what I think is really unique and powerful and exciting about my system of coaching is the way in which it is not just about our one-on-one experiences, but it's about the way that you learn how to self-coach. And we do it in this way because shifting away from the narcotic of negativity that keeps us small is something that will create amazing results in our six months together. 
but is something that I want you to have the tools and the skills to continue for the rest of your life. If this is something that stirs something inside of you, head to schoolofsensualliving.com slash coaching. And I would love to explore partnering with you in creating a soulful, meaningful, brave, and beautiful new year. Creating a loving inner dialogue. On last week's episode, I shared about an experience of losing my keys, which caused my mind to jump from, oh, I am disorganized to, oh, I'm 41 and I will die alone, never having been truly loved. (laughs) And the way that, you know, the fearful mind and the inner critic can make these really dramatic theatrical jumps, because where that fearful mind and inner critic comes from is your limbic system. So if you're a nerd about the nervous system like I am, you know that we have a system in our body that is programmed for our survival that has kept our species alive for 50 million years. And we also have a prefrontal cortex which is more at the front of the brain, limbic systems more at the back of the brain. And the prefrontal cortex is what allows us to be able to hear and feel those messages of the limbic system. But once again, make different choices than simply that of our impulses and instincts. So for example, my dog Winnie doesn't really have this choice. She eats what I feed her. She sleeps when she wants to sleep. She barks when she wants to bark. She doesn't seem to worry about if the amount she sleeps is sabotaging her future or (laughs) the feelings of the person that she's barking at. She just kind of goes with it. And as human beings, we have this prefrontal cortex, which has allowed us to evolve into this thing that we call civilization. And the whole purpose of our limbic system, our survival system, is to keep us safe and to help us evaluate and see situations in the context of life and death. That's actually one of the functions. There are several functions to the limbic system, but this is one of the functions. You know, an example, it's very connected to our sensory system. So when you smell something that smells good, you receive a message from your system, I want to eat that. You smell something that smells foul or spoiled, you know intuitively not to eat that. And the limbic system operates at a speed that is seven times faster than that of the prefrontal cortex. And this is why you might have an easier time controlling or managing a maladaptive coping mechanism like drinking wine or spending money or any of these things that, you know, in the last episode we labeled or we looked at the label unhealthy behaviors. When you are relaxed and centered, you can feel and hear those messages from your limbic system through a contemplative gaze. You can hold them in a loose palm. But when you are stressed 
anxious, burning the candle at both ends, your nerves are frayed. This limbic system is reading red alert, red alert, help. And so it will give you the fastest option for relieving pain and creating these neurotransmitters of comfort and safety like dopamine. This is the basis of Instagram. (laughs) You know, you get on Instagram, you see these images of people out living their lives, you feel bad about yourself, but scrolling gives you this little hit of dopamine. And so it's like this cannibalistic cycle. And I share this with you because a really important starting point is understanding that these inner critic, fearful, projecting the worst kind of thoughts are not necessarily this demon that lives inside of you or this monster under the bed. It is a misinformed perception that is really trying to help you. And the beauty of being a human being is that because we have this prefrontal cortex, we can take a moment to evaluate real threat from perceived threat and make a choice. Is this limbic system response something I really need to obey in order to ensure my safety, like jumping out from in front of a speeding car? Or is it something that I just need to take a sacred pause with and reassure it Honey, I know you feel like you're going to die if I don't do this thing that gives us the fast track to a hit of comfort and this illusion of safety, what feels like safety, but actually creates a lack of safety in the end. And so I'm going to be here and reassure you and comfort you. And we're still not going to do that thing. And we won't die if we don't do it. And I want you to just notice how your inner critic or, you know, this, what sometimes feels like a demon inside responds to that kind of treatment, as opposed to letting it run the show or criticizing it and being frustrated with it and saying, why are you such a loser? You're the reason for all my problems and allowing it to then get even more scared and even more tense and show you even more fearful images because it wants to help you. Because showing you fearful images helps prepare you for the worst if they actually happen. And imagining what we might do or strategizing how we could prevent that from happening in this obsessive worry about something we can't actually control gives us some sense of control over the outcome of our life, which is, of course, an illusion, because we're all going to die alone. And money will disappear, and children will grow up to do things that scare us. And this is just the reality of life. And so working to comfort that limbic system that's in distress and be playful and curious with it takes it from that rigid fall that can break a bone and turns it into that roly-poly hedgehog that can bounce off a rock. And so something I find really helpful is giving this part of myself a name. And I like to call this part of myself the adorably anxious part of myself. Last night at 12.30 a.m., I took Winnie, my dog, to the emergency vet 
more because uh, I was scared than she was sick. <laughs> she was exhibiting signs of bloat, which um, can be very fatal for dogs. And I got really scared. So my mom and I hopped in the car and we drove in the middle of the night an hour to an emergency vet. And I was on the phone with the emergency vet as she was being admitted. And my mom was in the car with me because they were hands-free handoff, you know. And they're asking me all these questions and the vet is on speakerphone. And before I have the chance to answer, my mom is jumping in with the answer. What are her symptoms? Well, she's bloated. Distended belly. She has a distended belly. (laughs) And I just put my hand on her arm and I said, I've got this. And she was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it's just her adorably anxious side. And it used to really piss me off and annoy me. And I've learned how to accept that this isn't something personal against me. It's an expression of her anxiety, which is human and lovable and adorable. And when I regard her as adorable, I don't feel any tension and I don't take that anxiety into my own body. And so that is jewel number one is keeping that roly-poly, rounded energy around this inner voice by naming it something playful. Number two is speaking to this inner voice with reassurance rather than more criticism and doing so in the way that you might talk to a child or to a dear friend. So this is the essence of inner compassion is seeing ourselves through the lens of what one of my teachers, Andrea Renee, might call unconditional humanity, where it's not about being more light than dark. It's not about being more good than bad. It's about being as loving to our full humanity and seeing its beauty as we possibly can. And so in those moments, the reality is that this fearful conditioning is a program that got written when you were very young and when you were learning how to navigate the world without the full development of that prefrontal cortex. And so you made some decisions and some judgments about what's true about you and what you need to do and what you need to be in order to earn love and what's possible for you. And so it might feel a little cheesy, but I really invite you. What I do is I just pause. In fact, I just did this at the gym. I'll be lifting weights, put the, put the weights down. I ground through my feet. I put my hand on my heart. I close my eyes, standing there in the middle of that shrine to toxic masculinity <laughs> that the gym is with all these very uh, developed, muscular humans around me. And I say, oh, I hear you, sweetie. I hear you that you're scared. And right now we're just going to feel our feet and we're going to open our eyes and we're going to look around and we're going to see the facts. Because once again, our thoughts have the power to change our reality and they can swing that pendulum towards fear or they can swing that pendulum towards love. And the third jewel from my little velvet wisdom pouch that I want to share with you is becoming aware of cognitive distortion. 
So cognitive distortion is once again where the mind perceives reality and decides an outcome or decides a truth about it that is not necessarily rooted in fact. An example of this would be black or white thinking. I'm either the best at something or the worst at something. This person is either my soulmate or their serial killer. I am going to make seven figures this year or I'm going to die leaving all my credit card debt to my children, you know, whatever it is. And a therapist once said to me, you know, higher power, the universe, this essence that we sometimes call God is not necessarily in choosing the light over the dark, but it's in finding the gray. And perhaps a more poetic way of saying it that I've adopted recently is finding that place of golden hour. And golden hour is that time of day where dusk is beginning and day is ending and everything is filled with this warm, golden, honey light that is optimal for taking pictures, but I digress. And so when thinking about these cognitive distortions of black or white thinking, how do we locate that golden hour in between? And one of the ways that we can do that, and this is something that I do all the time, is by becoming a little sleuth and looking for the evidence one of the worksheets, you know, in, in our coaching together, every week you receive a customized assignment based on what you're currently working on and what we're working to create together. And one of the workbooks that I give my clients is around shifting core beliefs. And so to give you just a little sample from that, one of the most common beliefs that comes up for my single clients is... I'll never find real love. So right off the bat, we catch that cognitive distortion with never. You know, this limbic system thinks in absolutes. So if the belief is I'll never find real love, well, what is the evidence? And maybe the evidence is your past relationships have ended. Maybe the evidence is that you feel like there's something wrong with you and clearly there is because you're not getting any dates or whatever it is. Are there alternative ways to look at this evidence? So perhaps an alternative way to look at past relationships ending is that you will find real love because you won't settle for love that doesn't feel real. And you're willing to put up with the discomfort of this moment in pursuit of what you actually want. Maybe an alternative way of looking at the second piece of evidence is you don't have a lot of dates because you're really discerning. If you're on a dating app, most likely you are sifting out dozens, if not hundreds of profiles. And so not having a lot of dates probably isn't a symptom of you not being dateable, it's more a symptom of you being really discerning because you know what you want. And then from there, we look at what is the more balanced belief. And so perhaps the more balanced belief is, I am on the search for real love that feels real to me, and I am brave, and I will stay the course. And 
the evidence for that is everything that we just listed. And I think we could add to that the fact that you risked love by even having past relationships. And so you can see that in this limbic way of being, which once again is seven times faster than the more rational linear mind, it sees things in these extremes of life or death. I will never find real love. And the more balanced what in dialectical behavioral therapy is called the wise mind, which is this blending of the rational linear mind and this survival instinctual mind, which I want to just give a side note. I don't mean to talk shit on the limbic system. (laughs) The limbic system is a tremendously, uh, you know, wonderful and essential aspect of being human. It's not something that we need to dominate or neglect, but it's rather something to understand how to work with in a way that creates the kind of existence that you want to have. And lastly, my loves, I invite you when you're in a moment of your inner dialogue being less than loving, a great honor that listeners and clients of mine have shared with me is that sometimes in those moments, they think, what would Mary do? And Mary is your companion on this path. I want to just clarify that, that this is not something that I don't experience. It's something that I accept that I experience and take it as a sacred contract with my soul in expressing my true soul in this lifetime. And I give you full permission in those moments to not necessarily ask yourself, what would Mary do, but how would Mary perceive this experience? So as your coach, as someone who sees you through the eyes of unconditional humanity and compassion, and who sees your limitless potential, how might I describe the pickle that you're in and empower you to get unstuck? So you have my permission to take that step. And once again, if coaching together in a more intimate, powerful capacity is something that you feel drawn to, I invite you to go to schoolofsensualliving.com slash coaching. You can also send us an email at hello at schoolofsensualliving.com to receive the brochure and set up an appointment. And next week, we are going to be exploring taking this soul sense even a level deeper by refining the economy of your energy. So I can't wait to share those gems with you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. For coaching classes and community in creating a lifestyle of embodiment, head over to schoolofsensualliving.com. There you'll find a free video series in how to intercept the stress response of anxiety and generate genuine feelings of ease and confidence through your body language. Head to schoolofsensualliving.com confidence to get your first video today.